Well, welcome to uh, Chantland Baptist Church. Um, again, my name is David. I'm the pastor here. Um, if you're new or visiting, or if you're listening online or the radio, um, special welcome to you as well. Um, before we go too far, I'm going to give a bit of a fair warning today. Um, we're back in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, if you've been following along with us, we're going verse by verse through the whole book. And what that means is sometimes we come to some challenging passages, um, ones that might possibly make us a little uncomfortable. Um, they might open some conversations um, that we don't talk about much. Um, and so Jesus made it a priority to, to talk about some, some difficult things. And so we're going to make it a priority as well. And so today, the passage that we are in is talking about adultery and lust. So um, if you're listening online or the radio, um, I wouldn't recommend this to young ears. Um, I'm going to be using language that if you, if you don't know what the birds and the bees are, um, you're going to be having some interesting conversations going home. So with that in mind, open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're in verses 27 to 32. I'm going to be reading from the uh, CSB translation. And uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the back. They're free to you. Um, if you know someone that needs a Bible, you can bring one for them too. Um, that's our gift to you. We are continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached on his time in, on earth. And, and this passage falls right in the context of this sermon. We started it a few weeks ago, and, and a few weeks ago we looked at anger. Um, and so this is the next one. So we'll pick up in verse 27. Um, it should be on the screens, and you can follow along with me. Verse 27. You have heard it said that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of these parts of your body than for your whole body to, be, to go into hell. 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so earlier on in chapter 5, there was a verse that sort of prefaced this whole teaching that Jesus would, would continue with all these different topics. And so if you remember in chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so basically what that means is that Jesus requires perfection to get into the kingdom of heaven. And outward actions are not just enough. The heart is actually what really matters. For example, a few weeks ago, we talked about um, murder. And Jesus said, it's not enough that you just don't murder someone, um, and, and which was part of the Ten Commandments. Instead, he takes it to the heart and says, if you have anger towards someone, then you've already committed murder in your heart. And so what he's doing is he's looking at the motivation of your heart. From the outside, actions might look righteous, but in the heart is what Jesus looks at. So today, Jesus continues to build on that idea he does it in, in this format. He will take an Old Testament commandment, um, usually one of the Ten Commandments, and he said, 
he'll say, here's what you have heard, and then he will take it deeper into the heart. And what he is doing is showing us how desperately we need Jesus. Our righteousness will never be good enough. And so we need a savior. We need someone to save us. So picking up in in verse 27, it says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Jesus here is referencing the seventh commandment in the Old Testament given to God's people. Um, It was given to them in in Deuteronomy 5.18. Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty easy command to keep. Just don't sleep with someone that's not your spouse. And for the Pharisees, that, that would have been probably an easy box to check. For a lot of us, that should be an easy box to check. But then Jesus says, verse 28, But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, hold on. Everyone who has ever looked at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in the heart. Notice that Jesus sets the bar much higher. He moves right past the physical action and straight to the heart. And what he's saying is that it's not enough that you just don't sleep with another person that's not your spouse. He's saying if you have even thought about it, if you've fantasized about it, if you've looked at someone who's not your spouse and and undressed them in your mind and envisioned sexual things with them, or if you've engaged um, with pornography, then you've committed the sin of adultery. So all of a sudden, that condemns pretty much everybody. To some extent, we are all sexually broken in some way or another because of our sinful nature. Now you may say and and see that, that Jesus, it looks like he's clearly directing this to men. But I don't actually believe that's prescriptive, meaning specifically to men. Men were probably the audience he was speaking to, but women struggle with lust and adultery just as much as men. And so Jesus is speaking to everyone here. Now, before I go further, I want to answer two questions. First, why is Jesus so concerned about people committing adultery and lusting? And the short answer is that because God has a very high view of sex and marriage. Sex is God-designed, it is God-given, and it is God-glorifying. He has given it to humans as both a good gift um, of pleasure and procreation in the context of marriage. Now, the problem is we have a competing world and an enemy that wants to take that good gift and pervert it, to destroy it, to manipulate it, and to use it for evil. And that's, that's the culture we live in. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. And so the reason Jesus is defending it is because he's protecting the purity of both marriage and of sex. God is for marriage. He's pro-marriage and he is pro-sex in the right context. And so these things are sacred, which is why he's defending it. Now, the second question is, is Jesus saying that we can never look at someone of the opposite sex? Not saying that. What he's saying is you can't lust after a man or a woman. There's a difference between recognizing beauty and lusting. Example, all around of us, we admire God's creation where it appears. You see a beautiful sunset, you can worship God. If you climb a mountain and you look at the view, you can worship God. Or you look to the stars, you can worship God. Because God created it and he creates beauty. God also created people. And even more, male and female have been created in the image of God. And we know that God is, is beautiful, that he's majestic, that he is amazing, that he creates beautiful things, including people. 
And we are wired as humans to recognize beauty in the things that God has created and then to give God credit and glory for that. Each one of us has been uniquely created in the image of God to reflect the beauty of our creator. And so it's not a sin, it's not sinful to say that a person is beautiful. That in itself is not sexual. Jesus never said that looking was sinful if your heart is in the right place. Lust, on the other hand, is, the, is sort of the opposite. It's, it's totally different motivation. It says, wow, that person is beautiful. Here's a list of the things I'd like to do with them. And it can happen sometimes when you dwell on beauty too long. And it can lead to a desire for sexual things or, or mental undressing or, or fantasizing or even possibly adultery. And as soon as you cross that line, you're committing the sin of adultery in your heart. And so Jesus is not saying that you can't look at a man or woman and recognize them as beautiful, but where your heart is is the difference. Beauty recognizes the creator. It gives glory to God. It doesn't make it sexual or objectifying. Lust, on the other hand, is worships and objectifies the person. It seeks to fulfill selfish sexual desires. And so it's a fine line too. So you need to be very careful. Verse 29. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one parts of your body from the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay, hold on. If I've lusted and committed adultery in my heart, am I supposed to literally gouge out my eyes and cut off my hands. It seems a bit radical and possibly even a bit harsh. What, is, what does Jesus mean by this? Here's what I want you to see, is that Jesus is actually conveying a grace and a mercy here. And here's what I mean. If you committed adultery in the Old Testament time, um, Leviticus 20, which is the beginning of your Bible, 20 verse 10 states, if a man commits adultery with a married woman, he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. So back then, if you got caught in adultery, um, you would be dragged out onto the street and you'd be stoned to death right then and there. The consequence of death was pretty much immediate, which seems harsh. But here's what you need to understand is that God is just merely um, carrying out physically what you've chosen spiritually in your heart, which is death. And there is hell to pay for adultery. But what Jesus does in the New Testament is he actually gives an opportunity for grace. He's saying before you even get to the physical act of adultery, kill the adultery that's in your heart that comes through lust. And the heart is where it always starts. But you have to be radical with it. Cut it out. If your eyes causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your arm causes you to sin, chop off um, that limb so the whole body doesn't get thrown into hell. Now, He's using hyperbole here to make a point. But what he's trying to say is, is he's trying to convey the seriousness to which we need to act. And it's a grace that Jesus offers. You have time. It's a grace of time. You still have time to change. You still have time to cut things out. You have time to repent and time to soften your heart. You have time to not fully act physically out on adultery. Adultery in the heart is always the first step before it's ever acted out physically. So hear this. Jesus is giving a grace and a mercy here. And what Jesus is saying is that you need to do something. 
And it's going to require the gospel. It's going to require some radical changes in your life. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now this can be challenging and, and tough verses to understand. Um, Moses in the Old Testament um, allowed divorce and, and remarriage on Old Testament law by just giving a certificate of divorce. Um, and in that culture, it often favored the men. So Jesus sets the bar much higher for the standard of marriage because he has a high view of marriage. One commentator said it this way. He said, in, in God's eyes, marriage is a lifelong covenant and should not be broken. But when sexual immorality of one kind or another occurs, this can unfortunately break the bond and the innocent body, party therefore can remarry. But again, it comes back to this idea of sexual immorality. It's so destructive that it can break the covenant and the purity of marriage, which is why Jesus is so blunt towards sexual sin. It destroys relationships and marriages and it can break up families. So with all that in mind, I want to consider how this applies. And I want to do that by first understanding the reality of the culture that we live in. We live in a highly sexualized culture where sex is accessible, adultery is rampant, and lust is celebrated and worshipped. Um, lust is easily accessible with, with pornography. Um, in a matter of seconds, you can go online and access the most perverse and sexual images and fantasies that your mind could ever desire. And it leaks into the church, which is why we're talking about it. So here's some stats that I want you to soberly take in. These are taken from a, a Christian website called Covenant Eyes, who have done some extensive research and, and surveying um, of both Christians and non-Christians. So here's some of the stats. It says 64% of Christian men, Christian men, and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. The stats are even higher for non-Christians. 75% of parents believe that their child had never encountered porn before. But of those children, 53% reported that they had in fact seen porn. So here's the thing, and I, and I find this sometimes with, with Christian families, is, is don't assume that because you're growing up in a Christian home or your kids are growing up in a Christian home that they're not exposed to this. If, if your kids are 10 and up, you need to be having these kind of conversations with your kids because chances are they've probably already been exposed to it. 51% of, of male students and 32% of female students have viewed porn before their teenage years. 71% of teens admit to hiding it from their parents. That's something to take note for parents in the room. 27% of teens are receiving sex which is um, sending pornographic images by, by text message, either through Instagram or Snapchat. And so these stats are, are serving a lot of Christians. And so we can't be naive when it comes to lust in the church. Porn is easily accessible. It's, it's addicting. Our culture advertises it constantly. And of course, it's going to be influencing Christians and it's going to be hurting marriages long term and it, and it has terrible consequences even on the brain. There's some, this is interesting. There have been some scientific studies that have been done that, that looks at the effects of, of lust and pornography on the brain. 
And what's interesting is the science is in agreement with what Jesus is teaching on the destructive nature of, of lust. So here's some of the effects. First is it desensitizes pleasure. God wired the brain in such a way that when you engage um, with sex with your spouse, small amounts of dopamine is released in your brain. That builds neural pathways to tell you to go back to that. Now that's God designed and that is a good thing, especially in the context of marriage, because it brings you back. It, It builds that sexual intimacy with your spouse. Porn, on the other hand, releases a a false surge of of dopamine, giving the brain an unnatural high similar to that of like cocaine, and it rewires the brain over time. And studies have, have shown that like drugs, your mind eventually ends up craving more and more and more to the point where you eventually start to seek more perverse, more hardcore pornography as, as the only thing that will satisfy the craving. And so the result, and studies have shown that it, it can lead to not being able to be intimate with a real human being because your brain can only be satisfied with the artificial And so that can have devastating effects, um, long-term effects on your marriages. Second is um, you can become hypersensitized to lust. This is interesting. Dr. William Struthers explains it like this. He said, like a path that is created in the woods with each successive hiker, so do the neural paths set the course for the next time an erotic image is viewed. Over time, these neural paths become wider as they are repeatedly traveled on with each exposure to pornography. They become an automatic pathway through which interactions with women are routed. The neural circuitry anchors this process solidly in the brain. With each lingering stare, pornography deepens the Grand Canyon-like gorge in the brain through which images of women are destined to flow. And this extends to women that they have not ever seen naked or engaging in sexual acts as well all women become potential porn stars in the mind of these men. In other words, if you're watching pornography enough times, it will rewire your brain to the point where every time you see a woman um, or a man, um, you you automatically associate sexual acts with them in your mind. So that has devastating effects on your social interactions with the opposite sex. Now this can happen in both men and women. This article happened to be written specifically to men. So, so lust, it not only distorts sex, it can have devastating effects on your marriage, and even more, it can have devastating effects on your brain. And it's interesting that the state of Utah and Alabama declared it, the government declared it a public health emergency, because even from a secular standpoint, lust in porn is destroying people. And you don't need to be a Christian to, to recognize that or to even understand that. And so that's what what Jesus is saying is that there's, there's hell to pay for this because it is so destructive. You need to rid your life of lust. So what's the solution? Because I think there's some of you in here who have been praying for victory over and over and over again. And it seems to be just a cycle and cycle of defeat. And the enemy is going to tell you um, that you're the only one going through this. And that's a lie. Romans tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. To some extent, we are all sexually broken people. So what do we do? Well, the good news is that God did answer your prayer. This passage today is the answer to your prayer for victory. And part of the victory is listening to what Jesus is telling you to do. 
So what does he tell us to do? Jesus has said, you need to be radical with it. Cut the sin out. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Obviously, that's hyperbole, but, but kind of. Like, how badly do you want freedom? What are you willing to cut out of your life to have victory? If your computer is in your bedroom and it's a temptation to watch porn every time the door is closed, you need to get rid of it. You got to be radical. If your smartphone, um, if you cannot control yourself on your smartphone and, and it's just a temptation constantly, get rid of it. I have friends that have, that have gone back to the, the old school flip phones with no data plans because they, want, they know they're weak. They need to eliminate every possibility of being tempted. Get a Wi-Fi system that blocks these kind of temptations. Get a friend to put the passcode on it so that you don't know it and you can't bypass it. There's a lot of software tools out there that can help eliminate temptations, but you're going to have to be radical with it. Second, find someone you trust. Accountability is a great asset. Have them ask you regularly. Have them pray for you regularly. Last week, we talked about this idea that we need each other to help fight some of these battles. So find people that you trust. Be radical against the sin. It's not easy having someone ask you all the time, but you need it. Next is to know yourself. Understand the things that trigger you. And it's going to be different from one person to another. So don't put yourself into situations where you know you're going to fall into lust. If you know that you don't have the self-will to skip through an inappropriate scene in a movie or TV show, don't watch it. If you can't be alone in a hotel or, or home by yourself because you'll be tempted, go outside, invite a friend over. You need to be on guard. You need to know yourself and be radical with it. Next is, if you're married, don't deprive each other. Um, this is interesting. Paul, Paul speaks specifically to the church in 1 Corinthians 7, 2. He says this, But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. Each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. And in the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul is acknowledging the fact that your flesh is weak. Don't withhold the marital duty. If you deprive each other, it's going to be a foothold for Satan to come in and to tempt you. And I've seen it happen, and it's destructive. If your spouse is not getting it from you, they're getting it from somewhere. So if you are married, you need to prioritize a healthy sex life, lest you fall into temptation. Now, the most important thing is that you need to go to Jesus. You need the gospel. To quote Keller, the gospel is this, that we are more sinfully flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. We need Christ's love and we need his forgiveness. And that's what he came to do on earth. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And you need to acknowledge your sin and bring it to the cross. You need to understand that you are more sinfully flawed than you ever dared believe. It's at the cross where he takes the, sin, the punishment for your sin at the cross where he gives you um, the righteousness that does exceed the Pharisees. 
And it's nothing that we could do, but it's everything that God has done for us. And we need Jesus because all sexual sin deserves hell. Adultery deserves hell. But the gospel says that Jesus paid that hell for you. Every time you've looked at porn, Jesus had to hang on the cross for that. Every time you've undressed someone in your mind, Jesus had to suffer for that. Every time you've daydreamed and fantasized, Jesus was crucified and pierced for that. So that you could be forgiven, you could be freed, and that you could have victory over sin. And it cost Jesus everything to forgive you, including his life. So if you're here today and you're feeling defeated, do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus suffered for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus has forgiven that sin? Do you believe that Jesus has washed that sin as white as snow through the shedding of his blood on the cross? The first step to victory is understanding and believing that you are more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared believe. Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then sin has no power or grip over you. You can be radical against cutting it out of your life. You're not too far gone. Jesus can restore you. He can redeem and he can heal relationships. He can show you the path to victory. He can help you in those dark moments. He can even rewire your brain. So today is the day. Don't be enslaved by lust any longer. Confess it, repent of it, be forgiven of it, and leave, leave, uh, live in the freedom and the victory that Jesus offers. Be radical against the temptations that come your way. Your past has been paid for in full. You are a new creation, and you have the righteousness of Christ that exceeds the Pharisees. It's been given to you as a gift of grace. Now, before I end, um, Christians and, and also spouses, if, if someone confesses to you, if your spouse confesses to you seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation, seeking freedom from these things, understand that, that if it's a surprise to you, the emotional pain is going to hurt like hell. But know that that sin hurt like hell for Jesus too. So if your spouse confesses to you, receive it, mourn it, process it in prayer, work through it, reconcile it with Jesus, and understand that Jesus did die for that sin. Jesus has forgiven that sin, and you need to work through forgiving it as well. So please don't weaponize confession. Our job as Christians is not to judge, but it's to point each other back to the cross. It's to point each other back to Jesus. I invite the worship team to come back up. Before I end, I want to offer just a few resources if you want to go deeper into understanding some of the um, psychology or even the, the science behind some of this stuff. Fight the New Drug is a secular website that is fighting against the epidemic of pornography and lust. And there's lots of really great articles and scientific data on the effects of, of lust and, um, from a secular perspective, and it's really, really well done. Covenant Eyes is another great website from a Christian perspective working against the fight of, of lust and porn. They offer software tools that you can put on your, your computers and, and that sort of thing, um, and, and lots of ways to help break um, the enslavement of these things. But the thing I would encourage you the most 
is to find some accountability. Find someone you trust that you can talk about these things with, that you can be honest with. People that can ask you those really tough questions and pray for you. Church, let's be radical against sin. Bring it to the cross and receive the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus is offering you today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would set some people free here today. I pray you would give courage to step out in faith and deal with the sin in radical ways. I pray, God, the voice of the enemy would would be silenced and, and that the hope of the gospel would be the message that we cling to, the hope that we cling to. Thank you for the forgiveness that is offered and and paid for by your your blood that was shed on the cross. Father, help us to receive that forgiveness, to not have any desire of lust in our hearts. I pray, Jesus, you would protect us, you would lead us away from temptations, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, would you make our hearts pure? Help us to worship you now for everything that you have done for us. We love you. We praise you in your powerful and holy name. Amen.